This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. First Amendment rights are especially important when they are under pressure, when we are tempted to compromise those rights because of a crisis or an emergency. That's precisely when we need to double down and say, no, whenever we give up these rights, historically, bad things happen. Bottom line is the world always does the world in a much more compelling fashion than the church does. People should study the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and how it saved its seminary in the early 70s in a conflict that's called Seminex, because it might be one of the real examples of saving an institution that was going in the other direction. It was Luther's letter to the Christians of Frankfurt. They weren't quite certain about their pastor. He said, look, just ask him, what's in your hand? What are you putting in my mouth? And if he can't say the body of Christ, run. Don't stay there. Leave. Nonagenarians in Northern Virginia love listening to issues, etc., while lounging in their lazy boys. Okay, Google, play Lutheran Talk Radio. Streaming Lutheran Talk Radio from TuneIn. Two very clear biblical statements. Christ has died for all people, and as the Lamb of God has borne the sins of the whole world, God created no one for condemnation, but wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Those are straight from the Bible. So people will ask next, well, then why are some condemned? What's the biblical answer to that question? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, December the 19th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to spend some time with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever in part three of our series on the Saxon Visitation Articles. We'll be talking about predestination and the eternal providence of God. Dr. Albert Moeller joins us after that. He's going to respond to E.J. Dion's column, A Question to Conservative Christians on Gay Marriage, Why Draw the Line Here? And then we'll spend some time with Pastor Sean Denzer. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Of course, it's Christmas Day this coming Sunday. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. It's joy to be with you. We've kind of been circling this subject in several ways in the course of our conversations, this subject of predestination or eternal election. But the authors here of the Saxon Visitation articles are not satisfied simply to kind of imply things about it. They want to drive directly to the consequences of this crypto-Calvinism that they were dealing with. Yeah, you can see it through each of the articles that we've already considered, how in the background there stands this sort of Calvinistic take on salvation, which is what they are really trying to reject, and they have rejected most specifically in this last article. Predestination and the eternal providence of God, the pure and true doctrine of our churches concerning this article. As you noted, it starts out with two statements that you would think should not be objectionable. Christ has died for all people, and as the Lamb of God has borne the sins of the world. Well, I mean, 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all. Uh, well, okay, so then Christ died for all. Also, we have 1 John 2, verse 2, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, very clear. And of course, it alludes to John 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, look, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. So, this first statement shouldn't be controversial. We know in the context of, of Calvin that it was, in fact, denied that Christ sacrificed himself only, I mean, they would teach, he only sacrificed himself for the sake of the elect and not for the whole world. So Lutherans right from the start say, no, that's not how Scripture talks, and we're not going with that. Scripture says very plainly, Christ actually took away the sins of everybody when he died on the cross. We're going to stick with that. So the next statement is God created no one for condemnation, but wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What are they doing there and what else do they have to say? Well, I mean, clearly in the background here again is the Calvinistic idea that most people are actually created and they're created reprobate. They're headed for hell by God's own design and intention. And so they want to just flat out deny this. Again, Scripture's really clear. You have 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In the Apocrypha, the book of Wisdom, chapter 2, verse 23, I think is being alluded to here as well. God created mankind for incorruption and made him in the image of his own character. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his party experience it. First Timothy 2, of course, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, here it is again, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, Matthew 17, 5, of course, directs you to the order of salvation. When the Father speaks at the transfiguration of Jesus, he says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, you need to hear what he has to say to you. So listening to Jesus is God's plan of salvation. And that's why Paul could also say in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, whether the Jew first, but then also to the Greek. And finally, Romans 10, verse 17, wraps up the whole order of salvation for us with, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So God tells you, hear my son, listen to what my son says to you. Listen and abide in his word, as Jesus promised. Then you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And that's a promise for all people, not just for some people. So this third point, many people are condemned by their own guilt who are either unwilling to hear the gospel of Christ, as mentioned before, or later fall from grace. This happens either by error against the foundation of grace or by sins against conscience. What are they saying? Yeah, so they're unpacking here the other side of the question, which is, why not others? And the answer to the why not others is not the same as the answer to the why some. The answer to the why not others here is that people indeed are condemned by their own guilt because they just won't listen to the gospel. They're not interested in hearing it. God says, listen to my son. And they say, I don't want to, and walk away. That's certainly one cause of damnation. Another cause of damnation that arises is when people who 
actually hear the gospel, then fall from grace later. They've, they've heard it, but then they fall either by embracing some heresy, which is what they mean by error against the foundation of grace. So, I mean, some, you know, they, they, they believe at first and then, I don't know, they get visited by the Jehovah Witness and they become persuaded that Jesus is a creature and not, in fact, the eternal son of God. That's an error against the foundation of grace and it would destroy saving faith itself. Similarly, sins against conscience, which all of us know something about, right? You know when something's wrong and your conscience is saying, God, stop, don't do it. And you say, no, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Well, you know that if you keep on doing that over and over again, your conscience actually breaks. And then you don't have that, well, you don't have the moral break inside to stop you from living in outward rebellion and, and, and fighting against God and his will and his ways. So some scripture passages to think of in regard to this. Think about how St. Stephen would preach in Acts 7. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Or you think about Jesus saying hey, how much he wanted to gather the people of Jerusalem together like a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not, you know, you refused. I wanted to bring you in and save you and shelter you from my wrath and you would not. Similarly, we have in first Timothy four the statement. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, that whole matter of fighting the conscience again and again. We have First Thessalonians 5.19 warning us, don't quench the spirit. The reminder in Titus 1.15 that to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They've broken and uh, sullied their conscience, continually acting against it. And then that whole language about the foundation of faith really derives from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, that is the foundation of Jesus Christ, survives, he will have a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire for any work that's built on the foundation. So if you see, it's really a big deal if you move off of the foundation of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Point four all sinners who repent are received into grace, and no one is excluded, even though his sins were as scarlet. For God's mercy is much greater than the sins of all the world, and God has compassion on all his works. Again, statements that you would think would not be at all controversial, and they, they line them up right out of Scripture, right? Scarlet immediately invokes evokes uh, Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You also have then the promise in Romans 11, verse 32. God consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. There's no one for whom his mercy isn't. Also, the book of wisdom, one more time, in uh, chapter 11, verses 22 and 23 but you are merciful to all, for you can do all things, and you overlook people's sins that they may repent, for you love all things that exist and loathe none of the things that you have made. Those verses actually, Todd, make it into the liturgy for Ash Wednesday in the intro and also in the collect of the day for that day. So there they just kind of really clearly lay out 
what we are going to teach about this. But now we move to an interesting section in the the visitation articles because they weren't content with the statement positively of all the things that we do teach in our churches. They also know they have to guard against things that are not true. So this entire next section, odd as this may sound, is a collection of things that are false. In other words, if somebody's teaching this, we simply say this is a wrong, not a true biblical teaching. We're talking to Pastor Will Whedon. It's part three of our series on the Saxon Visitation Articles. We will get to those rejections of false and erroneous doctrines of the Calvinists on the other side of this break. Pastor Whedon hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Grace, faith, Scripture and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December is an Archbooks treasury. It's a Christmas collection. Twelve Archbooks telling the story of Christmas for children ages 5 through 9. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are in part three of our series on the Saxon Visitation Articles. So, 
How do they jump into the false and erroneous doctrine of the Calvinists concerning the Lord's Supper? Okay, well, first thing they want to do is to uh, safeguard the truth about the words. Because remember, the only legal religion was you're a Roman Catholic or you're a Lutheran in Germany at the time. So the Calvinists were consistently trying to sneak into that and interpret Lutheran-sounding words in a different kind of meaning. So they're trying to flush out all of that, and they're going to guard against it with these statements. First, that the words of Christ cited above are to be understood in a figurative way, not as they read. Okay, first, very very simple statement. Take the words of the Testament the way they read. That's the only way to do it as a Lutheran. Second, in the supper, there are only bare signs, the body of Christ, however, being far away from the bread as the highest heaven is from the earth. That idea that Christ is confined at the right hand of God and cannot be present with his true body as he promises in the supper. Third, Christ is present in the bread and wine only by his power and working, not with his body. Just as the sun is present and effective here below on earth by the brilliancy and its working while the sun itself is above in the sky. I mean, the sun does a lot of things here on earth, right? But it doesn't, that, we, no one would say that the sun is actually here on earth. But the problem is Jesus didn't say that this was the power of his body and his blood at work. He says it is his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So that's just flushed out entirely. Then the, the statement that the bread is a figurative body, which is only signified and prefigured, I mean, sort of basic swingly, making sure that door shut too. And then Christ's body is received by faith alone, which soars into heaven. His body is not received orally. Here's the question. What goes into your mouth? What is being placed in your mouth and the pastor holding in his hand? If we can't say it is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, then we have walked away from the plain, simple, true meaning of his testament. Finally, only the worthy receive Christ's body and blood. However, the unworthy who do not have faith that can ascend into heaven, they receive nothing but bread and wine. So all of these are regarded as absolute false teaching, which cannot be tolerated in any church that bears the name Lutheran. We cannot go along with the idea that the unworthy do not actually partake of the very body and blood of Christ. Jesus did not say, if you are worthy, this is my body and this is my blood. If you believe, this is my body and this is my... He said, take, eat, this is my body given for you and this is my blood shed for you. I take it that the Calvinists, not to put too much weight on a metaphor here, but they, they wanted to have their cake but not eat it, too. They wanted to have Jesus' body someplace. Yeah, and they want the benefits. They want the Christ benefits, but they blood. did not want to swallow the idea nor the the very body of Christ. Yeah, the idea that you actually, that he would put his body in your mouth and pour his blood down your throat was as offensive to the Calvinist in the 16th century as it manifestly is to the people in John chapter 6 when Jesus says exactly that. Do they get to keep the words of institution if they have, in effect, vacuumed out all of the content of those words? Yeah, I mean, we want to be very careful not to be judges of, like, if you're asking the question, do the Calvinists actually have the real presence of Christ? We can't even answer that. All we can say is, they say that they don't. <laughs> That's the safest answer. They say that the body and blood of Christ are in heaven and not on earth, and they do not orally go into the mouth of every communicant. 
Lutherans, on the other hand, are very clear that the words of Jesus actually promise us that we all who eat, we all receive his very body and blood, the believing for salvation and the unbelieving for judgment. What do they have to say in response to Calvinist teaching on the person of Christ? They go down a line of six main points. First, in the first place, Calvinists teach that the expression God is man and man is God is figurative. In other words, don't press it. It's a way of speaking. And the Lutherans say, no, it's not a way of speaking. It's the truth of the communion of the nature. So the second point, the human nature has communion with the divine, not indeed in truth, but only in name and words. Again, a way of speaking to say that you can call Mary mother of God, provided you understand she didn't give birth to anyone but a man who You know, I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth there, but let me just say they're very uncomfortable with our language of Mary being the mother of God and of of God himself dying on the cross. They find that to be okay as a way of speaking, but not okay as a way of describing reality. Third, they say it's impossible for God with all his omnipotence to cause the natural body of Christ to be at the same time in more than one place. They said that simply would destroy the nature of a human body if that were the case. And we simply say, hey, it's the body of God. You can't tell him what he can and can't do with that body. That wouldn't be smart at all. He knows as many ways, uh, many more ways than we could even imagine of being able to accomplish exactly what he promises. For by his exaltation, Christ, according to his human nature, has received only created gifts and finite power and neither knows nor can do all things. So has he received this unlimited divine authority and power, which it certainly sounds like he has when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Again, they need to limit this so that they don't have Christ present on the altar, Then a fifth statement, Christ, according to his human nature, rules absently, just as the king of Spain rules the new islands, meaning like America and all. He's the ruler of all things, but he's not actually here. But the problem with that is, do you remember what he said at the end of all power in heaven and earth has been given to me? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what? I will be with you always to the end of the age. I will be with you. So you got to deal with that. And then uh, the, the, the last statement It is damnable idolatry if the confidence and faith of the heart is placed in Christ only according to his divine, but also according to his human nature, and the honor of adoration is directed to both natures. In other words, that's idolatry. If you guys are worshiping the human nature, you are sinning. We're like, no, we're not, because that human nature belongs to the eternal person of the Son. This last point is enormous because it really highlights the vast chasm between Lutherans and Calvinists when it comes to not just the Lord's Supper, Mm -mm. but to what they believe they are doing when they worship Christ. They reject the notion that they are worshiping Christ according to his human nature. Right. And, And we definitely hold on to that as like that human nature belongs to the eternal son. It belongs to the Father's eternal Son who is worthy of all worship, adoration, and praise. It is glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the false and erroneous doctrines regarding baptism. Yeah, they just run through them one after the other here. Calvinists teach that baptism is an outward washing of water whereby an inner washing from sins is only signified. 
Yeah, running with St. Augustine there, right? An outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And that way of thinking, though, means that baptism itself doesn't actually wash away sins, as they make clear in the next statement. Baptism neither works nor confers regeneration, faith, the grace of God, salvation, but only signifies and seals these. In other words, it's a sign of those things, but it itself does not give those things. And you kind of know why, right? Because we're heading down toward that last thing on election. Hold tight to that. Number three, not all who are baptized with water, but only the elect receive from baptism the grace of Christ or the gift of faith. In other words, God doesn't waste any of his gifts. He's not going to give faith to someone who's not going to endure to the end. He's not going to give faith to someone who is not actually one of his elect. Then regeneration occurs not in and at baptism, but only afterward in adult years and in some people not till old age. So again, severing regeneration from the actual sacrament of baptism. What the sacrament signifies to the Calvinist is not the same thing as what the sacrament delivers to the Lutheran. And then salvation does not depend on baptism. So emergency baptism should not be permitted in the church. If the service of the church cannot be obtained, the child should be allowed to die without baptism. Yikes. We definitely have a conflict here with the way the Lutherans think of baptism and how important it is and how we will rush to get a child to baptism if they are in any kind of distress and in danger of death. And similarly, the thought then that why they're not worried about it comes out in the point number six, children of Christians are holy before baptism and from their mother's wombs. Indeed, while still in their mother's wombs, they are in the covenant of eternal life. Otherwise, holy baptism couldn't be administered to them at all. Ouch. So we administer baptism to children because we know they're included in the sinners. We know that they are indeed in need of the forgiveness and new life that baptism will bestow upon them. And we know that God can work faith even in the heart of a little baby. That's no problem for him at all. And so we have no problem giving baptism to a child. But to the strict Calvinist here, the least of the 16th century, they're not going to say that baptism should ever be administered anywhere but in the church by a minister. There is no such thing as emergency baptism. I mean, like our hymnal has it in the back of it to this day. The point there being that they're citing the example of rejecting emergency baptism as evidence that the Calvinists put no stock in baptism vis-a-vis salvation. Right, right. I mean, it, because they, they clearly have an idea that, you know, God will give the covenant of salvation quite apart from baptism itself. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether or not you actually have the child baptized. It accounts then for, I mean, even though our Calvinist friends, the you know, Presbyterians, the Reformed, they do practice infant baptism. It doesn't have the same weight with them that it does with us because they're not regarding it the same way. I mean, to them, it's a sign of a grace that's there already by virtue of the parents being Christians. So really, they would view it as essentially a dedication. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would say it like that, but that's the way it comes across to us. You know, it's like they're not seeing it as a means of grace. That's the truth. They're not seeing it as actually conveying the regeneration. That's hugely problematic. And it, frankly, it robs people of the very great comfort that God intends them to have in the gift of the baptismal water. 
So finally, we come to the errors regarding predestination and the providence of God. How do they list them? So these are just the inverts of all that we just heard. So it's an error to say Christ died not for all people, but only for the elect. It is an error that God created most people for eternal condemnation. It is unwilling that they would be converted and saved. It is an error that the elect and the regenerate cannot lose faith and the Holy Spirit and be condemned even though they commit great sins and crimes of every kind, in other words, against once saved, always saved. And here's an, it is a great error that those who are not elect must be condemned and cannot attain salvation, even though they're baptized a thousand times, daily go to the Lord's Supper and also live as holy and blameless as ever possible. In other words, they're warning you off from trying to ever wiggle your way into God's thinking about eternal predestination From the standpoint of heaven, instead, they're saying, look, if you're focusing on those means which he has put here in this world to save you, that's exactly what he wants you to do. That's why he said at the miracle of the transfiguration, listen to him, listen to my son. The danger here, and I want you to speak a little bit about this, the danger here of these Calvinistic errors is that all of them in their own way create uncertainty in the heart of the believer. Why is that so dangerous? Well, is there ever any greater hell than honestly not knowing where you stand with God? I mean, if you walk down that Calvinist path, then you arrive at this this realization that if God has indeed predestined you to eternal life, there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. It doesn't matter what you do. And on the other hand, if he hasn't, it doesn't matter. what you're, You don't need to go to church. You don't need to attend to his word. You don't need to confess your sins and receive the absolution. You don't need to be baptized because it doesn't matter what's going to happen. You're going to be damned no matter what. That is a horrible place to leave people in. And the whole joy of the Lutheran church in the means of grace was that in these means of grace, in baptism, in the Eucharist, in the absolution, in the preaching of the word— In all of these, God himself is witnessing to you of his goodwill toward you, that he wants your sins forgiven. He wants you being with him in heaven. He wants to fill you with the comfort and joy of his presence and his spirit. And when you have that understanding of the means of grace, you realize how very, very precious these things are. Do we know historically if these visitation articles were successful. Did they mm-hmm. achieve what the authors wanted, which was to root out and hopefully to bring back some of these erring pastors? They did. They did. They really did for the whole time that they were in being exercised. Remember, they sort of fell out of use in the early 1800s, and that's when, again, a reformed approach to the church was uh, enforced upon a lot of Lutherans in Germany, including the Saxony as well. So up to that time, they had indeed done the job of making sure that the Saxons were uh, pretty straight-arrow Lutherans. So of what value are they to us today? We know that they're not of of a strictly confessional nature. They occupy, at least in the latest editions, the appendix of the Book of Concord, the Book of Lutheran Confessions from the 16th century Reformation. What value are these today? They're just so valuable as a brief statement of what the main points at issues really were. So 
if you remember when we worked our way through the catalog of testimonies, that was like the research notes, right? This is the Cliff Notes version of even of the formula of Concord. It's so beautifully summarized here. And nobody disputes that. The Saxon Visitation articles absolutely teach you in very short, condensed form the main teachings of the Book of Concord vis-a-vis the Calvinists. And for that, we can be very grateful. It's a wonderful little summary that anyone can read. And I think they're very straightforward, very understandable. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. You can listen at your convenience at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Well, thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Todd. Dr. Albert Moeller is ready to go. We're going to have a conversation with him on the other side of the break about E.J. Dion's column, A Question to Conservative Christians on Gay Marriage. Why draw the line here? We'll spend some time with Dr. Moeller, then an hour or two of issues, etc. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org. Jay Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. Learn and grow with us at Redeemer Lutheran Church, 7670 East Jomax Road, Scottsdale, Arizona. The gifts of Christ are received every Lord's Day in the 9 a.m. Divine Service. Confessional, Evangelical, Sacramental, Liturgical. Lutheranism the way it used to be. Lutheranism the way it can be once again. If you're in Scottsdale or in the Phoenix metro region, we'd love to have you visit. And please also visit our website, RedeemerScottsdale.org. Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. 
issues, etc. guest, Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu.